So what would you say if somebody asked you what you believe about the Holy Spirit? There's any number of things that might come to mind first when somebody posed that question to you. Perhaps if somebody asked you what you believe about the Holy Spirit, the first thing you would think would be uh, something to do with spiritual gifts. Either, you know, about um, the sign gifts in particular, maybe like prophecy and speaking in tongues and miracles and things like that. You might say, well, this is what I believe about that or this is what I don't believe about that. Or you might think it's just about some of the other spiritual gifts, about uh, you know, teaching and helping and service and, and talk about how the Holy Spirit uh, gifts us to do those things, enables us to do these things. And if that's where your mind goes first, that's probably because in the last you know, few decades, that's where the, the controversy, the division has been in regard to the Holy Spirit is on the, the nature of spiritual gifts or which spiritual gifts are still uh, operating and, and people have divided over that and probably churches have divided over that. And I'm not going to talk about that at all today because what I want us to do is I want us to go deeper than that in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. And by deeper, I don't necessarily mean harder. I mean to what is more fundamental, what is more essential, what is more foundational, and that is who is the Holy Spirit? And what does He do? And how should we respond to Him? So we're returning this morning to our uh, sermon series through the The basic doctrines of the Christian faith, we're using the Apostles' Creed as our outline of the doctrines that we are covering. And so we've talked about uh, how we believe in God the Father and that He's the maker of heaven and earth, right? He's the creator. We've talked about the fact that we believe in Jesus, how He's the Messiah, how He's our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. and, And we went through His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, the fact that He's going to return again one day to judge the living and the dead, and this morning we come to the statement in the creed that reminds us that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do this morning is, first of all, we're just going to talk briefly about the fact that the the Apostles' Creed reminds us how essential and foundational to the Christian faith, to the New Testament, is belief in the Trinity, The one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to talk specifically about the Holy Spirit. What is it that we believe about the Holy Spirit? Why do we say we believe in the Holy Spirit? And what does He do? So that's going to be our chief focus this morning is those two things. So let's start with the Trinity. In the Apostles' Creed... The structure is Trinitarian, right? It starts with, we believe in God the Father. And then it says, we believe in Jesus Christ. And then it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit. It draws attention to all three persons of the Trinity, and it shows us how all three persons of the Trinity are connected. For example, when it talks about Jesus, it says that He is the Father's only begotten Son. So He is the Son of the Father. And then it also tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection between the Son and the Father, and between the Son and the Spirit. 
And then it also tells us that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So, so throughout the creed, we're not only focused on the three persons individually, but also how they are related to one another. How they work in concert, in harmony, to bring about our salvation. Right? And that structure merely reflects how pervasive the three persons of the Trinity are throughout the entire New Testament. And this is something that we, we overlook uh, far too often. We don't stop to think or notice how Trinitarian the New Testament is. How much the New Testament focuses our attention not just on the Father, and not just on the Son, and not just on the Holy Spirit, but the Father and the Son and the Spirit all together. For example, when Jesus gave his disciples what we call the Great Commission, their their marching orders, and now our marching orders, before he ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, he said, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The name, singular, one name, because one God, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all three persons. This is now going to be your identity. When you make disciples, when you turn people into followers, they're not just following Jesus, right? although that's certainly an essential and essential part of what they're doing. But they are now becoming identified with not just the Son, but also the Father and the Spirit too. This is the God we belong to, the one God who, again, eternally exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see it, uh, for example, in Paul's final prayer at the end of 2 Corinthians. His, what we would call like a benediction, the closing word, the closing prayer. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's his last word to them. I want the Father and the Son and the Spirit each to be doing their work in you. Or when he talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he doesn't say that spiritual gifts are only connected to the Holy Spirit. Now, they are connected to the Holy Spirit, but they're also connected to the Father and the Son. Listen to this. He says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. That's the Father, who empowers them all and everyone. So, spiritual gifts are not limited to the Holy Spirit, though He is absolutely involved in the the giving and empowering of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are a Trinitarian work as well. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are all involved in the giving and empowering of spiritual gifts. Or when Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, God and Father... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then a little bit later, he says, In Him, talking about Christ, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So he says, God the Father, 
has blessed you, chosen you, loved you, forgiven you in the Son, and sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Your salvation is a work of the Father and the Son in the, and the Spirit all together. Jesus talked about this as well, John 14, when he was preparing his disciples for his departure. He said, I will ask the Father. So here's the Son saying, this, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Who's that? Another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Son prays to the Father to give the Spirit to his disciples after his departure. It's all, all our salvation, our life as Christians, it's all wrapped up in all three persons of the Trinity. And one of the reasons something like the Apostles' Creed is so helpful is because it reminds us of that. Because it's easy to forget about the Holy Spirit sometimes. It's easy to talk exclusively about Jesus sometimes. And we want to talk about Jesus as much as we can, right? But not to the exclusion of the Father and the Spirit, right? We want to talk about Jesus, but we want to talk about the Father and the Spirit too. We want to talk about all three persons of the Trinity, Because they are one God, again, who exists in three persons, always has, always will. And we don't have to be able to comprehend all of that to be able to confess that. The the Trinity is one of, if not the deepest mysteries of the Christian faith. But it is also one of the fundamental articles of our faith. It's, It's there in our baptism. That we confess the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We're being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So it is essential to what we believe, to what we confess and profess to believe. This one God who exists in three persons. Now, let's talk about the Holy Spirit in particular. Because of the three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the one that we're most likely to forget at times. The, the one we're uh, most likely to leave off if we're explaining to somebody what we believe. We believe, we believe God sent His Son to die on the cross and so on. And it's easy for us to not then get to the Holy Spirit and His work. All right, so what is it that we believe about the Holy Spirit? What does He do? What should we say about Him? Because again, the, the Apostles' Creed doesn't say much. It just says we believe in the Holy Spirit. Right? The Nicene Creed... <clears throat> which is another early creed, um, expands on that a little bit. And it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and life giver, who is worshipped together with the Father and the Son, who spoke through the prophets. Now, where does all that come from? We're going to talk about a little bit of that. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and life giver. Right? And says that he's worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son. It says all that because he also is God. He's divine. Okay, So the Holy Spirit is not just like a part of God that's almost God or kind of like God. No, the Holy Spirit is God. He's as fully God as Jesus is. He's as fully God as the Father is. Uh, so, here's one of the clearest places where that's taught in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 5, 
there's a story about Ananias and Sapphira. And if you've been in the church a long time, you've probably heard this story where Ananias and Sapphira, people were um, selling their property and giving the proceeds to the church. And they were all you know, kind of working together and coming together. And that was a great and wonderful and beautiful thing. And Ananias and Sapphira, well, they pretended like they were doing that, but they weren't really doing that. So Ananias sold a piece of property, which is fine. Gave some of the proceeds to the church, which was fine, but pretended like he was giving all of the proceeds to the church, which was not fine. And so here's what Peter said to him, because Peter knew what was going on. And so Peter says to Ananias, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Okay, so here's what Peter says. So again, he he could have sold the land and given only part of the money. And that would have been fine as long as he was up front about it. Peter's like, that, that's not the problem. The problem is you lied about how much you were giving to the church. And so the first thing he says about that is, Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he comes back and he addresses it again. And he says, Ananias, you didn't lie just to men, which is bad enough. You've lied to God. Now, he's not adding something to what he said earlier when he said you lied to the Holy Spirit. He's saying the same thing in a slightly different way. You lied to the Spirit. You lied to God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. There's not a difference between those two statements. Right? They're, just, they're like synonyms. Right? It's just saying the same thing a slightly different way. You lied to the Holy Spirit, which means you have lied to God. Because the Spirit is God. And the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's like the Son is a person. Just like the Father is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He, he's not just like a force or a power. You know, he, here, here's what Ephesians 4.30 says. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What kind of thing can you grieve? You can't grieve a force. You grieve a person. Right? The Holy Spirit is a, is a person, just like Jesus is a person, just like the Father is a person. Right? He's the third person of the Trinity. He's just as fully God as the Father and the Son. He's just as much a person as the Father and the Son. And it is the Spirit of God who inspired for us the Word of God. When the Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, how did that process take place? It was the work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, when Judas has taken his life after his betrayal of, of Jesus, they need to uh, fill that uh, office, that spot for the, the 12th apostle. And so it says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So this was, what Judas did was told to us in advance. 
And it wasn't just David who said it. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through David. It was God's word, not just David's word. David himself says in 2 Samuel 23 too, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. So the Spirit of God is God. The Holy Spirit is fully divine, fully God. He's one of the persons of the Trinity. He can be grieved. He's a person. He inspired the Scriptures. The Word of God comes to us by the work of the Spirit of God. And so just like the Nicene Creed says, the Holy Spirit is to be worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son. That's why we sang earlier, glorify your name, Father. Right? Glorify your name, Jesus. Glorify your name, Spirit. All three persons are worthy of full glory and honor because all three persons are the one God. Who the Bible proclaims and who the Bible tells us brought about our salvation. One more thing I want us to, to notice this morning is that the work of the Holy Spirit is connected in the Apostles' Creed to the church, right? To the reality of the church. So the next thing that comes up in the Apostles' Creed after we believe in the Holy Spirit is the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. We'll probably talk more about that next week. But I just want you to notice the Spirit is connected to the reality of the church, the body of believers. The, the, the saints are God's holy people, right? That's us. So why is the Holy Spirit connected to the church? It may or may not have been deliberate by whoever uh, crafted the Apostles' Creed originally, but it's appropriate Because in the scripture, there is a close connection, right, an essential connection between the work of the Spirit and the reality and life of the church. Here's what I mean by that. The church is made up of people who believe, people who belong to Jesus, people who belong to God. How does that come about? How do people go from being outside of God's kingdom to being in God's kingdom? How do we go from being outside of God's family to being inside of God's family, a part of God's family? Well, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus about this in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And how does that new birth take place, that being born again. Jesus says to him a little bit later, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. We cannot see the kingdom of God. We cannot enter the kingdom of God. We cannot be a part of God's saving reign unless the Holy Spirit of God works in us to give us new life, to make us new. Paul talks about this in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, when he says, But the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, or when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So God the Father saved us by pouring out the Holy Spirit upon us through Jesus to cleanse us. So Jesus purchases our pardon, purchases our forgiveness through His death on the cross, and then it is brought to effect as the Holy Spirit is poured out on us through Jesus so that we are made clean and so that we are renewed, regenerated. The Holy Spirit is at work right, in creating the church, in saving, like applying the salvation that Jesus accomplished to the people of God. And that's not just a one-time sort of work that the Holy Spirit does and then leaves us. He dwells with us. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? Now think about what that imagery means, right? Because in the Old Testament, how did God dwell with His people? He gave Moses instructions for building a tabernacle, and then later it was replaced by the temple, right? And the tabernacle and then the temple, that was the place where God dwelt in the midst of His people. And there were all kinds of sacrifices and and things that had to happen in order for that to work because God's people were unholy, but God Himself is holy. But that's where He dwelt, in the Holy of Holies, over the mercy seat, over the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That was the dwelling place of God Himself. And now, Paul says, you are the dwelling place of God Himself. You, Christian, you, believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And because the Spirit of God is God, that means that God Himself dwells in you as He dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament. You are now the dwelling place of God. Which is why Paul says in Romans 8 that he's saying this to Christians, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And the flip side of that is everyone who belongs to Christ has the Holy Spirit. No exceptions. As we read earlier in Ephesians 1, the Spirit of God, when we believed the Gospel, when we heard that Jesus died for our sin, and we believed it, the Holy Spirit came not only to dwell in us, but to seal us, And He is the the guarantee, the down payment, as it were, of the full inheritance that we are to receive at Christ's return. And finally, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for us to live a faithful Christian life. Paul says in Galatians 5 that there's this conflict always going on in us between the flesh and the Spirit. They're hostile toward one another. We're we're being pulled back toward our old fleshly way of living, which is characterized by all kinds of sin and rebellion and and wickedness and, and whatnot. And Paul exhorts us, encourages us, calls us to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. 
And that's where he says the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what, here's what grows in you and in me when the Spirit lives in us, dwells in us. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All those things come not out of us, ourselves, but out of the Spirit's work within us. And so that's why Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right? The Spirit has given us life. Let's keep walking by the Spirit, trusting the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, so that our life continues to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is just another way of saying to live like Christ, to have the character of God, to love like God loves, to have the joy that God gives, the peace that God gives. So the Holy Spirit, yes, is at work in spiritual gifts, but let's remember there's way more to what the Holy Spirit is up to and who the Holy Spirit is than just what He does in relation to spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is worthy of worship. The Holy Spirit is worthy of honor and praise. He inspired the Scriptures. He inspired us, or He caused us to be born again. He dwells in us, and every good fruit in our lives comes from Him. And that's at least some of what we mean when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.